0: Second Corinthians, I want to look at. I want to look for just a second in chapter five, and the message that I have for you is actually in chapter six. But you'll have to have at least a, a basic knowledge of what's going on in chapter five in order to understand chapter six. It's hard to start a flight of stairs at the top; you have to start at the bottom and go to the top. And so, we want to build our understanding correctly, and we want to. Uh, As far as this context is concerned, this thought that's contained in this passage of Scripture, we want to get a good basis for our understanding. So let's read from chapter 5, verse 14, and then we'll talk just a minute about verse 21, and then we'll start into chapter 6. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now let's pray right there. Lord, we ask you this morning to meet with us in a special way. We pray that you'd reveal yourself to us, reveal your will for our lives, but also your provision for our lives. Help us to see God how that we might live up to the expectations of your will, even in this mortal and frail body in which we reside here on this earth. I pray God you'd help us, lead us, and guide us, and we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right, verse twenty-one again. For he He's talking about God. For he hath made him Christ. For God hath made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, and this is the reason for that, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, in a sense, we understand, uh, I think if, uh, if you would think about it real carefully, if you've ever been saved, you've already come to the knowledge that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and all the good works that we could ever do would not bring us up to equality with Christ. That's the reason that he died for us. He was buried for us. He rose again for us. And when we put our faith in him, he gives us his righteousness. We call that, that's the doctrine of imputed righteousness. It's found in Romans chapter 4, particularly. The, The explanation of that is in Romans chapter 4. So we understand the basics of imputed righteousness, but many times we think of that as just getting saved. The act of being born again. But it goes much further than that. The rest of our lives, after we get saved, should be not an experiment, but a process. God doesn't have to experiment. He knows what he's doing beforehand. He has the wisdom, the knowledge. He has the power to make whatever plan he has come to fruition. So this is not an experiment. It's a process. Colossians chapter 2 calls it the operation of God and he's not practicing. Uh, The medical field, they practice medicine. The Lord in his operation, he's not practicing. He's already perfected, making men whole again. And so he says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me read the whole verse again. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then I wanted to point that out because look at chapter 6, verse 1. We then, see those two words? It's not, chapter 5 and chapter 6 are not disconnected. We have installed the chapters and the verses for reference sake. And I believe there is some uh, some great... Uh, Uh, value in the chapters and verse system but you don't want to take that so far that you forget that this is a connected thing these are not separate things they're connected things and so one chapter will carry on into the next with its its context so we might be made the righteousness of God in him we then as workers together with him so what is going on in chapter 6 is very closely related to what we've just read here in chapter 5 because we have been made, or because so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, we then as workers together with Him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. I would think this morning, if you'd want to go to heaven, that you'd want to go to heaven in grand style. <laughs> I would think if you'd want to go to heaven, you'd want to go to heaven in good shape. Now, sometimes... Uh, I don't hang around the country club because I wouldn't be able to hang around the country club in good shape. Uh, There's not too many fellas in overalls and dungarees and and not, not too many people wearing Levi's and work shirts down at the country club. I wouldn't be in too good a shape down at the country club. You see what I mean? Because're uh, not the, we're not like-minded in a lot maybe we are like-minded in some ways, but we're not like-minded in our way of life and our uh, we're not used to cruising through life with the same ease or whatever the case might I might be living easier than them i don't know seems to me like sometimes people that's got too much have also the problems that go with it and that has its own set of problems I'm not here to talk about this this morning i'm just trying to illustrate to you the fact that if you want to go to heaven you'd want to go in good shape. Amen? So that's what we we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What chapter 6 is going to tell you is is that it's possible to receive the grace of God but not get the benefit of it in this life. If you're born again, you are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. That's Romans chapter 8. Uh, If you pair that with Ephesians chapter 2, you'll learn that God is going to fulfill his purposes in your life. In the ages to come, God is going to take you. He's going to present you faultless. He's going to show the whole world. He's going to show the whole creation how powerful it is to simply believe in Christ with no works whatsoever. It will be a great benefit in the future. But I'm here to tell you that Christianity can be a great benefit in your life right here today. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, there's a parenthesis there in verse 2. I'm not saying that that parenthesis is not important, it is important. If I were teaching a different lesson this morning, I would use that parenthesis, but I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 3 connected as it would be without the parentheses. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, In afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Now, look what he's telling you here. He says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. It's God's purpose. It's his desire that we be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what's the context of chapter 5 that we read? We're ambassadors for him. We are left here in this world to preach the gospel, to be ambassadors for Christ. Just as Christ, when he came, he lived He died on the cross. He was God's man. He was God, but he was also the only one that could be God's man on earth to reconcile men to God. So having that knowledge in our head, he says, we're also ambassadors for Christ. Just like Christ represented God and reconciled man to God, we are representing Christ, carrying on that ministry of reconciling men to God. Christ came and done the work. He done the work in us. He left us here to do the same work of bringing men to Christ, to bring men to God. And so he says, when you receive the grace of God, don't receive it in vain. In other words, what he's saying is, don't receive grace without receiving the benefits that accompany grace in this life. And if you attain grace... If you live according to grace, if you live according to the gospel, you're going to be doing the same thing in this world for lost men that Christ done for you when he lived, fulfilled the law, died upon the cross, was buried and rose again the third day for our justification. The power of Christ resides in us as believers And the Bible says because of that, because of our charter, because of our commission to be ambassadors for Christ, we ought not to receive the grace of God and not use it. We ought not to receive the grace of God and not apply it in our lives. So he says that you receive not the grace of God in vain, giving no offense in anything. Did you know that a Christian ought not to be a crook or a criminal? That's not to say that no Christian's have never been crooks or criminals certainly we all come short in many ways don't we but the bible says that if you receive the grace of god in vain that you would that you would be the type of person and let me make uh, let me make something very clear this passage is not a passage that's aimed at individuals it's talking about you together we are ambassadors not am, not it didn't say i'm an ambassador It says we are ambassadors. When you begin to deal with the church and you begin to deal with the unity of the faith and the unity of the saints, you're talking about us together. You are what I am, and I am what you are. Did you know that some people in this community probably view you people that go to this church as a little bit hard-nosed because your pastor is a little hard-nosed? You're identified together as a body. Uh, I got the news this week that uh, the last of my outlaw relatives I got plenty of relatives but I've got quite a few outlaw relatives and the last of my outlaw relatives has got five years to live that's what they told him got a liver disease and did you know that in many cases when I was growing up I was judged I was identified with that element of the family not because I had done anything amiss yet, but I was identified with who they were. Oh, you come from them knots and them smiths, and so you're probably a drunkard and a car thief. And you, Well, I wasn't those things, but I was identified by that, by that way. Uh, there, I said that, you know, the community might see you as a little bit... Uh, strict, or they might see you as maybe a legalist because that might be the terminology that they might apply to me. And then some folks might see me in light of you, whatever that may be. You may be liberal, you might be conservative as far as you politics go, or you might. But because we associate with one another, we get that same label. I guess is the best word you could use for it. But the Bible says, we then as workers together with him, seeing that we are to be made the righteousness of God in him, is the last statement of of chapter number five. We then as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. And this is the way you do it. This is the way you take advantage of the fact that God in his holiness and God in his righteousness and God in his perfection has associated himself with you. Don't take that in vain. Paul in another place says, I got a thorn in the flesh. I have this affliction that was given to me. The devil is tormenting me. The devil is humiliating me. And he said, I asked God to give me relief from that three times. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. What's he telling Paul? He's telling Paul, whatever you have to go through, go through it well because you're representing me and my grace toward you. I've associated myself with you, and therefore, if you don't go through it well, it reflects on me. And that's what the Bible's saying here. He says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Did you know if you went out into the community uh, as a child and you began to uh, act in a rebellious manner and you broke into folks' houses or you broke into folks' cars or you shoplifted at the, at the grocery store? Uh, did you know if you were found out that would reflect on your mother and your father? That's what the Lord's talking about right here. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. It's my grace that's found you. It's my grace that saved you. It's my grace that's paid the penalty for your sins. It's my grace that's given you a new life, a new purpose, an ambassadorship. It's my grace that's done all these for you. Don't misrepresent it. Take advantage of it. Uh, in, other, in other words, instead of letting the community think or your relatives think or, uh, or instead of letting uh, the, the onlookers, the witnesses of this world, instead of letting them think that Christianity means nothing, that it makes no changes, that it has no benefits, instead of letting them think that it's just like every other fad or fashion in the world, let them see that it's something better. It's something effective. It's something with power. It has power to uplift. You're not the same as the world. That's what the, that's what the end of the chapter, look down in verse number 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate people. It didn't say be snobby people. It said be separate people. Uh, in other words, you could say be effective people. Be powerful people. And I'm not talking about the power that the world covets. I'm not talking about power over one another. I'm talking about power over yourself. Many, many, many times, the people in this world who seek to have power over others, it's just because they don't have any power of themselves. If they can't control somebody else, then they have no control whatsoever. And so, the rest of this chapter that we haven't read, I read you verse 17, and I read you verse uh, 1 and 3, but the rest of this chapter is going to be talking about having power over yourself. And there's a little bit of a difference, and maybe this is too philosophical, and I don't want to get philosophical on you, but sometimes there's a small difference between having power over yourself and yourself having power over you. And You might think that's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. We're going to see that here for the next few minutes. Giving no offense in anything. Well, why don't you want to give offense so people won't like it? No, it's that the ministry be not blamed. It's not that somebody's liable to think less of you, it's that somebody will think less of Christianity and that somebody will think less of the Christ who saved you, the Christ who who brought Christianity into existence. They were called Christians first at Antioch the Bible says in Acts chapter 11 because they, they weren't called Christians because they were acting like Colonel Sanders. Uh, they, they, they weren't called Christians because they were acting like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Amen. They weren't called Christians because they were acting like Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. Fellas ought not act like Minnie Minnie Mouse or Minnie Pearl. Leave that feminine stuff to the ladies. Amen. Women are better than men at being women. Amen. And men are better than women yeah. Amen. at being men. Amen. Amen. Of course, you couldn't tell that by the <laughs> present generation, but they are much better. Amen. Much better. Amen. And I've got to say, I'm a little off subject now, but I have to say it. Amen. Because there's so much pushback from the other side on this. I've never seen a man trying to be a woman that did a good job. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Amen? Just just never run run across one, amen. If you're going to do that, maybe you ought to go get back in the closet and practice more before you come out, amen. 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 Ugly women look better than you. Uh, yeah. High fashion faggots, whatever, whatever it is, amen. But at any rate, now that I've ruined the sermon, let's get back to this. Given no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. It's not your reputation that you're trying to uphold as a Christian. Many, many, many people mess up trying to protect their own testimony. I have a testimony to protect. You have Christ's testimony to protect. Amen. 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 And so I could just backtrack just a little bit. Preacher, I wish you wouldn't say harsh things. Christ said harsh things about things that deserved harsh speech. If a thing required rebuke, he rebuked it. That's the testimony of Christ. He didn't say, you lovely liars. He said, you're full of dead men's bones. You're a bunch of deceivers when he was talking to the to the politicians and to the religious leaders of the world, he said, you're liars. He called a thing what it was. Amen. Amen. And that's what that's what Christianity ought to be about. You say, well, that'll get a black mark, but that doesn't reflect on you. That re- reflects on Christ. You'll be, you'll be considered unsociable. A lot of people ain't worth socializing with. Amen. Amen. Uh, as as Christianity follows the world see the world is liberalizing and I don't care what the world does I'm concerned with what the church does as the world liberalizes the church follows in its footsteps the world is supposed to be following the church to Christ the church isn't supposed to be following the world into hell not supposed to be done that way and as you uh, follow the Lord then you'll get closer to him. You'll be more like him. You'll be more of a representative of him. That's the way that's supposed to work. And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ is a rock of offense. If you're going to give an offense to the world, it should be the fact that you represent Christ, not that you're living in an unsavory manner or an ill manner, a criminal manner. A devious manner. We talked about it in Sunday school about greed being one aspect of it. But the Bible says if you receive the grace of God in vain, you might live in such a way that you'd be blamed. Now what I'm trying to say, what I was talking about is Christians get caught up in protecting their own testimony and their own... Outlook and their own viewpoints and all this stuff they begin to think about, and pretty soon they're wrapped up again in the same thing they were wrapped up in before they got saved by the grace of God and that is their self Amen. trying to keep up performance I've got to do everything just right I've got and you're doing the right things to make yourself look better when the the true works we read it in Ephesians chapter two the other day. Uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Well, if if it's his workmanship that brings us to these good works, shouldn't he get the credit for it? shouldn't he be reflected in that shouldn't the life of Christ the viewpoints of Christ the religion of Christ the politics of Christ shouldn't, the th- shouldn't those things be reflected in us rather than our own selves that's why he says we're ambassadors for Christ in the preceding chapter chapter 5 we're ambassadors for Christ we represent Christ we beseech you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled in Christ's stead you see that little phrase it means everything it means everything You're not here to protect your testimony. You don't matter. That's not a modern socialist statement right there. You don't matter. There's something that matters more than you. I wish people would get a hold of that. Fathers and mothers, let me tell you this morning, the solemn message for families is that you don't matter. As much as your children matters, the next generation coming up. When you get married and you have children, well, before you have children, have fun. Go see monuments and museums and take vacations and enjoy one another as much as you can. When you have children, your needs get put on the back burner much the same as when you got married you had to give and take and her wants and desires matter and your wants and desires matter and that's why it's called a marriage. It's a coming together of cares and concerns. Things being joined together. Well then you start producing children and that child has to grow up and that child will have needs when they grow up and that child will have responsibilities when they grow up so you put your life on the back burner for 35 or 40 years until they get things straightened out for themselves. Isn't it a shame that they're taking 40 years to get things straightened out? But if that's what it takes, amen, don't wait till you get too old to start looking into some of those things. And then leaving the family issues, let's get back into the Christianity side of it, the doctrinal meat that we're talking about here this morning. Don't wait until your life is spent. Don't wait until your youth is spent. Don't wait until you've fulfilled all your dreams before you start uh, deciding to fulfill Christ's purpose. Your dreams and Christ's purposes are very far apart in importance. Amen. Amen. And The value of Christ's purposes is far greater than the value of your hopes and dreams. Most of those won't come true if they're worldly. <laughs> He says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now let's go through these things because the rest of it, as long as you've got the idea of what I'm trying to say, the rest of these things be very easy for you to understand. You can preach the rest of this sermon to your own self as we go through these things very quickly. He says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. In other words, he's putting the ministry as the first place of importance. The representation of Christ As the first thing of importance, now all the rest of these things will fall in. He says, "...giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God." And Here's the great list. Here's how we approve ourselves as the ministers of God. Here's how we keep the ministry from being blamed. And here's how we receive the grace of God without that transaction of salvation being just a vain thing. And it's called vain in the sense of it has no effect on our immediate lives. Here's here's the thing that he says. But in all things approving ourselves the ministers of God in much patience. Why get saved from an eternity of punishment or an eternity of damnation and then be defeated by the simple things of this little life here? I think I can sum it up with something that everybody understands just by saying this. Now look at verse 2. He says, In the day of salvation have I succored thee. And remember, I preached you a whole sermon on that word just a few weeks ago. That word succor means to run to your help. It's like when you call 911, they don't stop by the coffee shop and they don't go by and pick up their groceries on their way to your house to get you in the ambulance. They run directly to you and they apply the care that's needed. I wish it could always be perfect, but we're not perfect people, so you shouldn't expect perfection out of the emergency system that we have in place. Yeah. So many times I've heard people complain about the care that they received by our, you know hospitals and ambulance services, and all the while they're complaining, they're sitting there breathing. <laughs> Does that make any sense to anybody? I don't expect perfection. I mean, when they actually start treating me, I'm going to want something pretty much like perfection. Amen. But what I'm trying to get, what I do expect them is to not stop at the, the the five and dime and get a Coke on their way to come get me. And that's exactly what that verse suckered means. It means when you called, he came. When you asked, he gave. When you sought, you found from him. Amen. Amen. That's what he's talking about he said, in the day of salvation have I succored thee? behold now is the accepted time. behold now is the day of salvation listen and this is the this is the the simple illustration that I want to give you is that men trust Christ for after this life for men believe that God can take care of their future. In other words, that he won't let you go to hell, or that he'll take you to heaven, or that he'll give you a perfect body. Somewhere in the future, after death, people trust Christ for that, but they won't trust him for a little thing like the rent. They will have, they'll, they'll trust Christ, they'll ask him to be their savior, and after that they worry nothing else about eternal punishment or anything else, but they're still worried about or oh, I might not have a place to live. Or this medical thing might not work out, or this financial thing might not work out, or I might not be able to get a car loan, or I might not be able to get a house loan, or when you could just as easily trust God for this life you're living if you can trust him for the life you haven't even seen yet somewhere out in the future and that's what he's saying in much patience if God can take care of your eternity he can take care of these you know breath in and breath out and day to day life and day to day living matter of fact he's going to take care of it so well that he said take no thought for tomorrow he said the things of tomorrow take care of, the, of their own self he said sufficient for the day is the evil, is the evil thereof amen that's, that's true so we give up our patience, and when we give up our patience and we panic or spend our life in grief over things that we can't control on our own anyway, we've received the grace of God in vain. The grace of God that will save you will take you through today. The grace of God that takes care of your eternity will take care of the next 15 minutes and beyond. Amen. 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 And if you die in those next 15 minutes, you go to heaven. That's what you say when you ask the Lord to save you. That's what you're saying, that he takes care of your eternity. So when we, when we don't have patience, when we rush to, to what, we're, what we're, we're not rushing to conclusions, we're rushing to anxiety. All right, give up, we rush to failure. We, why rush to failure when you can wait three weeks and come out on top? I've, I've seen this many times in my life because I don't have the patience that I ought to have as I'll give up on a thing right now. I've prayed for it. I've wished for it. I've wanted it. I've desired it. It wasn't a bad thing. There'd be nothing wrong with having it but I don't have it today so I give up on it and spend three weeks in despair because I did give up on it and then God give it to me. Yeah. Anybody ever experienced that? Well, it's the grace of God in vain. If, you ain't got an, if, if God's grace can't carry you three weeks to the completion of a thing, what good is it? Of the grace of God that can't carry you uh, three weeks worth of waiting, how can it carry you to heaven? The fact is it can carry you to heaven and therefore it can carry you the next three weeks. And in that same mindset, you can take all of these things. In much patience, in afflictions, somebody's treating me wrong. You can handle it. How do I know I can handle somebody treating me wrong? Because they nailed Jesus Christ to the cross and he came off of it. And they put him in the ground and he got up from it. He can take you the distance that you need to go. They're talking bad about me. You'll get over it. That's not half as bad as a spear in your side. They're saying bad things about me. Well, if they're true, they ought to say bad things about you. But if they're not true, it ought to hurt at least ten times less than the crown of thorns on your head. And say, so, well, they're talking bad about me and all I can do is think about it. Well, imagine a crown of thorns that had spike-sized thorns digging into the, your head and cutting furrows into your scalp. Does it hurt worse to wear a crown of thorns, or does it hurt worse to think about what somebody thinks about you? Their mind's just as messed up as yours. What are you worried about? What they think for? Amen. As long as you're doing what God tells you to do, Amen. That's a big. That's a big. As long as, but that's a big if. But do what God tells you to do, and that's what He's talking about. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't just receive the grace of God that'll carry to heaven. Receive the grace of God that will carry you through this life. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Believe in him. When all else fails or if everything does fail, put your trust in him. The three Hebrew children told Nebuchadnezzar, said, The Lord will help us, but if he don't, we're not bowing down to you. If he don't come to our rescue, we're not bowing down to you. Hey, if God doesn't come to your rescue, don't bow down to the images of this world. Don't bow down to the viewpoints of this world. Keep trusting in him because if they do tear your body apart, the Lord said, fear not him that destroys the body, but fear him that destroys both the body and the soul in hell. You got somebody that's far more powerful than the U.S. government or from the Illuminati that everybody's so worried about. I'd like to meet one of them fellows. If you ever run across one of them Illuminati fellows, you witness to him telling him he needs to give his soul to Jesus. Amen. Amen. If he he cuts your head off or gives you the mark of the beast in your hand, you can put the mark of the beast anywhere right here. Amen. My soul's saved. Worried about this world? Don't worry about this world. Don't worry about your landlord. Pay him what you owe him, but don't sit around worrying about him. Amen. If you can't pay him your rent, move out. Well, I won't have no place to live. That's what Jesus said. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. He survived. He said, I just don't have that much faith. I know because you've received the grace of God in vain. Listen, if you did come to the place where you is homeless, the Lord would lay his head out there on the ground with you. See, people don't realize that. They think there's an end-all, be-all. You're either going to have a home or you're going to be homeless. That's not all there is to it. You remember when Jacob was running for his brother, running from his brother, he had no place to lay his head, but on an old rock out there. That's what Jesus said. He said, "Son of man has nowhere to lay his head." Jacob said, "The only place I got to sleep tonight's on this old rock. I'm running from my brother. I have no house, I have no home. I got a blessing I can't even use." That was his mindset. His daddy had done blessed him and gave him all the blessings of Abraham. And he was out in the wilderness and had no place to lay his head. But he found an old rock and laid his head down there. And about as soon as he laid his head down and closed his eyes, the skies opened up. And God stood at the top of a great stairs and angels were coming down and going up. And he woke up and said, Boy, God was in this place and I knew it not. See, you're already thinking, if I can't make my rent, if I can't solve this problem, if I can't get out from under, then God's forsaken me. That's not the case. You run into those problems, you run into those hardships, and you find yourself out sleeping on an old rock, God will open himself up to you and say, I was here all along. The measure of a man is not where he lays his head to sleep. The measure of a man is not his health. The measure of a man is that he receives the grace of God and has more power than anything he runs up against. Amen. I've got a bad disease. You've got more power than that disease. They say, well, this, this disease might kill my body. Well, it won't keep you out of heaven. It won't keep you out of God's presence. Amen. My whole world will crumble if I don't get this new job. No, you could get demoted and God would still be with you. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. So that's what he says, in patience, in afflictions, in necessities. Oh, i got to have food. No, you can go without it. Well, I like food, don't you? I want to eat food today, don't you? I don't want to fast today, but if I didn't have no food, if I had great necessities in my life, I'd still have God. Boy, I'd hate to have to go a whole day without eating. Well, the grace of God would take you through that day. I'm not saying you'd enjoy they're hardships. They're necessities. These aren't, this, you, you see, this chapter isn't talking about joys and happiness and peace and plenty. It's talking about hard, hardships and things that require patience and things that are difficult for this flesh. I'm not saying you ought to be saying, I'm glad I'm having all these problems. That's ridiculous. I hope you have comfort and money and place to lay your head and rent and, and, and whatever, you rent or buy or whatever. Hope you have a place to live and hope you have plenty. Of, hope you have all that stuff. But that's not the aim of a Christian. Paul said his aim was to be content in whatsoever state he was. If I'm rich, I'll be happy. If I'm, if I'm poor, I'll be happy. The source of our happiness, the source of our contentment, and the source of our joy ought to be God because God has given his grace to us. We don't want to receive that grace in vain. So let's go through the list. In, in distress, as he says, the last uh, word in verse 4, in stripes, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labor. tumults. everybody fussing. I remember when my grandmother died, it was probably one of the hardest times that I can remember as a family trying to stay together. This one was arguing about, I want that, and that one was arguing about, I want this, and this one wants the house, and this one wants the car, and some of those people are still not talking to one another, and it's been four years since she passed away. And I find the ones that wanted the house didn't pay the taxes. What was all the fuss for then? The one that wanted the car and got the car didn't keep it up. It's sitting in a junk heap now. What was so important about it back then if it wasn't so important now as to keep it up? Tumults. Ridiculousness. I hope nobody has a family as stupid as mine. Say, Brother Mike, you're always talking about us. You don't know the half of it. Amen? You said tumults. What good does it do? What good does it do? somebody passes away and somebody says, I want this, I want that. Let them have it. Your life is not going to be enriched by things. Your life is enriched by Christ. The joy of of Christ comes not from things, but from Christ himself. People always talk about Christ is going to give me joy and Christ is going to give me hope and Christ is going to give me peace. No. Christ is going to give you himself And as a result of that, you get the joy and the peace, those things, contentment. You can't be discontent if you've got it all, and Christ is all. See, people are seeking for peace more than they're seeking for Christ. Some people are seeking for forgiveness more, I mean, they regret the things that they've done. There's no question about that. And repentance is good. You ought to regret the things that you've done. But you ought not seek forgiveness more than you're seeking for Christ. That's what you're, you're supposed to see, the glory of Christ. When you see the law and it, it tells you that you're no good, it ought to show you Christ and how good he is and make you long for him. I want him. And when you have him, you have forgiveness Christ has made for us, he's made wisdom and all these things, but he's forgiveness, he's joy, he's peace, he's gladness, he's blessedness, he is all these things. But he said, that's why he says verse 4, but in all things approving ourselves as the minister of God. We're not the ministers of plain peace. We're the ministers of God. Once we have God, we have these things. Once we have God, we have the grace to go through tumults. I wonder if any family in here has ever had tumults. Ever had a little uprising? A little, little hardship there? Little discussions that got heated? Some churches have those things. When the back door of the church opens up and nobody comes in, I begin to wonder a little bit. Amen? <laughs> but, it, but it... Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the Lord come in to shake some of you awake. In stripes... Paul said he received stripes, many stripes for Christ's sake. In imprisonments, we live in a great country where we don't have to go to jail for what we believe. Thank God for that. But it's, it's possible. It was in the past. Many people were locked up in Virginia and Connecticut for not being, you know, the high society religions that were controlling things in those days. They went by the word of God and they were locked up for it. In stripes, and imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings. Sometimes all you can do about a situation is just watch and see what God will do. In fastings, by pureness. All these things that he's talking about are representations of the grace of God. If you have to go through labors, the grace of God will help you go through it. Right. By pureness. When you, when you commit your life to pureness, just like you committed your life to iniquity before you were saved those things will prove the grace of God in your life. They'll be done by the grace of God. They'll be accomplished by the grace of God. By knowledge, when you begin to learn your Bible, that'll be the grace of God. If you're not going to learn anything in the Bible, why did Christ save you? He wanted to talk to you. He wanted to inform you. He wanted to improve your mind. That's why he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... He says that you commit your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your old mind was what it was because of the things that the world put into it. Your new mind is going to be your new mind because God has been graceful enough to you to give you his preserved word. His preserved will. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, he said, we have the mind of Christ. He says, by the word of truth, verse 7, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness. The armor righteousness will take care of you. It will protect you. Uh, the police and the military wear body armor to keep them from being killed by projectiles. And they'll be lucky if they're covering the part that needs to be covered. It'll cover up your chest and get shot in the leg cover up your legs get shot in the chest but the Bible says righteousness is an armor the Bible says in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armor of God the Bible says you're to endure hardness as a good soldier for Jesus Christ Christianity is a is, is, is warfare it's not a, a petite little feminine tea party that people go to on Sunday mornings Amen. That's why Paul said when he died, he didn't say I endured a great tea party for Christ. He said I fought a good fight. Amen. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm not asking you if this is what you're going through. I'm telling you this is what you're going through with absolute knowledge. You're fighting a battle on a daily basis. You're trying not to lose your mind with the hardships of this world. You're trying not to despair. You're trying not to give up. You're trying not to choke somebody out your cousin, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife. That's what you're fighting. You're fighting yourself. You think you're going to have to choke yourself out to keep from going back to those temptations you keep going back to. It's a fight. And the best way to win a fight is to get involved in it. I used to get beat up on a regular basis when I was a little boy. I graduated high school. 117 pounds. Imagine what I weighed in the ninth grade, in the 8th grade, in the 7th grade. And I come to my daddy about the uh, end of the 8th grade, the beginning of the ninth grade year. I said, Daddy, I keep getting beat up and I'm being made fun of. What are you going to do? He said, Well, I ain't doing nothing. He said, I go to beat him up. And he said, I'll be put in jail. He said, Son, if you're going to win the fight, you're going to have to get involved in the fight. Said so, Daddy, you're telling me to fight these boys at school? I'll get in trouble. He said, you, let me, he said, you let, me, let me catch you coming home beat up by a fight you didn't participate in, and I'll be twice as mad at you as if you get beat up and not get involved in it. Amen. Right. Hey, You've got to protect yourself. Yeah. You, and you're not going to win a fight unless you get involved in it. Yeah. So I started getting involved in it. Yeah. Amen. We don't need to talk about the outcomes and bravado that goes along with getting in physical fights, but I will relate that to the Christian life. You're losing a lot of your battles because you're not getting involved in the fight. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fists. They're not guns. They're not knives. We don't convert the world like a Muslim and cut people's heads off. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And these tumults, these things that take patience, these things, these hardships that are talking about those are the high things. The Bible says the high things that exalt themselves against God, talking about the temptations. You know, we just read about the pureness and the the knowledge and the good things, the the physical things and the spiritual things that are both contained in this chapter. They're fights. They're they're hardships. They're, They're fights that you're going to have to get involved with. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Don't wear your armor on your right hand, not on the left. Amen? Put it on all the way. Don't try to be, don't try to be the world's good friend on the one side and then be, the, be God's man on the other side. Get all the way in. Fight the good fight of faith. Amen. By honor and dishonor. You know, you can have both of those things at the same time. God will look at you and give you honor and the world will give you dishonor. The world will give you honor and God will give you dishonor. He said, come out from among them. You've got a separate life to live now. By evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, the world will say, y'all just telling a bunch of lies down there and God say, keep telling the truth, my son. Verse 9, as unknown and yet well-known. Nobody knows your name, but you're well-known. When the false uh, exorcists were casting out, trying to cast out devils in, in the book of Acts, I said, Paul, I know. And Jesus I know, but who are you? See, the devils knew who Paul was, but the devils might know who you are. Or they might not know who you are, I don't know. I'm not saying that's a good thing either way. I'm just saying, as unknown, yet well-known. People strive to be Billy Sunday. You ought to just be yourself. They strive to be the greatest angels. Why not just be yourself? You don't have to be a minister to millions. just those that you come in contact with. You can... If all you got is five people to reach, reach them. I think most people are after notoriety rather than fulfilling their purpose. If you just fulfill your purpose, you'll be all right. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. You get killed today, you'll be with God in heaven. As chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, you see that? This world is so depressed. Everything's depressing, depressing, depressing. Life is hard. There's plenty of grief. But when you get when you when you get up in the morning, and say, "Thank God I'm alive," and the devil will say, "Well, you sure are depressed. You sure are grief stricken." You say, "Yes, I am, but I got a good God. Yeah. God ain't depressed. <laughs> I might be depressed, but the God that lives in me is not depressed. I think I'm going to just mooch off of Him today." Amen. That's exactly right. You say, "Well, you think great Christian people ought to go through that?" Paul said he's going through it as sorrowful. He said, "Yet always rejoicing." I said, "Brother Mike, you don't know what hardship I'm going through. Shout about it a little bit. I just can't go to a church and express my emotions. Well, can't you do it in your living room by yourself? Wait till your husband goes to work and shout it out." Wait till your wife goes to work and shout it out. Don't have everything I want, but hallelujah. I've got some bad news and it just makes me very sorrowful. Close all the doors and run everybody off to the mall and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. You say, you think we ought to do that? You think we ought to shout on credit? Well, you ain't got no credit of your own. You may as well shout on the Lord, Amen. amen. The Lord ain't sorrowful. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. How does a poor man make many rich? You give him something worth more than gold. Amen. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. You don't understand, but Christ said, God said in his word, he said, all things are yours. You might not have much in this life, but all this stuff is yours. The Bible said we'll rule and reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, and having nothing, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Would you do yourself the great favor of going home this afternoon and finishing the chapter? The the rest of the chapter is certainly in the same context. It's not in my sermon this morning, but there will be a great call for your separation from this world in these following passages. Verse 11 down to 18. They'll tell you, hey, there's a better life for you. There's a different life for you. There's a purposeful life for you. And I'm going to close this message this morning by saying this. All the stuff you've strived for over these great many years of your life, you might be five or you might be 55 or you might be 75, but the things you've struggled for in this life have not produced the joy and peace that you thought it would. You worked for a bigger position, and when you got that bigger position, you found out there was a bigger position from that. You you thought you was, when you got promoted, you thought it was going to be the top of the ladder, and you found out it wasn't even a third of the way up. (laughs) Amen? Just as soon as you got a better position, somebody or something, or maybe it was even yourself come along and said, this ain't high enough. This ain't good enough. You was eat, uh, we had a great discussion yesterday on food. And I asked a little fellow, I said, he was eating a hot dog. I said, you like that hot dog, boy? He said, yeah, I like hot dogs. I said, me too. I think it's real good food. I said, I also like bologna sandwiches. He said, I don't like bologna. I said, well, that's okay. Everybody's got their own taste. But, boy, I remember when I was a boy, many days, many days, brother Nathan, all we had for supper was a tomato sandwich. I can remember sometimes growing up and our meal consisted of a banana sandwich. Anybody ever had a banana sandwich? Oh slice up a little banana and put some mayonnaise on there. Mmm. We even tried peanut butter with their banana sandwiches. That was pretty good too. But see, we didn't have everything. And boy, when I grew up, I mean, as I grew and as we got older, our dad made a little bit better money and we had a few more things. And then, listen, when I got in the Marine Corps and they put me in a chow hall and said, you can eat all you want. Mm. I treated the chow hall like most kids treat the video game, you know, the arcade where they play Pac-Man and all this stuff. I was down at the chow hall as soon as it opened. Many times I'd stop back by before it closed. Get me some eat. You say, why? Because I had moved up a little bit, see. See, so I had my bologna sandwiches when I was a boy. I had my chow hall right there at my early adulthood life. But then I, you know, I, I had all that food, but you know what I didn't have in my pocket? Uh, a, a Lance Corporal in the Marine Corps back in those days made about $750 twice a month. That's not a lot of money. Not, it's more than I had when I was in high school but it wasn't a lot of money but see if I, I couldn't afford to go out to the steakhouse every day and I couldn't afford to go to Libby Hills or of course I ain't got no Libby Hills you don't know what that is I couldn't, I couldn't go to uh, Red Lobster that's what I was trying to think of I couldn't go there every day Did y'all see God just keep me from making a fool of myself falling in that floor but you see, once I got my belly full and I started looking around at Taco Bell, I thought, I'm missing something. I wasn't missing nothing. I was eating better than I ever had before in my life. See, it's, it's us. We gain a little run on the ladder, and then we talk ourselves out of, you know, we talk ourselves out of the, how well we have it. So Listen, if you're saved, it's like eating at the finest restaurants. You can't do no better than that. If you're saved and broke, you're doing better than the millionaire. You're doing better than him. You're doing better than him. If you're a pastor and you've got a little church with 50 people, you're doing better than a liberal compromiser that's got 10,000 people in their church. Don't envy that. Don't envy that. It, listen, fellas, if you've got a little wife that loves you and little kids around your feet in the evening time, And you can put bologna sandwiches in their mouth or banana sandwiches in their mouth and they're happy and playing in the yard and they're not discontent and cutting their sales because of their displeasure. If you got that, you've got more than the man that owns everything in the county. Amen. You look around at somebody, some of these great men that we live around, and I say great not in, in, in judging their character or anything like that, but we call them great because they own this building and that building and they own this and that. Boy, I'd like to be like him. I bet you wouldn't like to be him. I bet you wouldn't like to see the discontent in your wife's eyes that they see in their wife's eyes. I bet you wouldn't like to see the discontent. Uh, if you was one of these ladies that married to a man with all that money, I bet you wouldn't like to look in the face of your husband and see the worry and the desperateness to keep all that stuff that she sees. Boy, if you've got a few kids, they'll run around your feet and kick a ball around and think they're having the time of their life when they've got nothing. to. Th- mm. Some of you poor people don't know how good you got it hmm I've had people come to our little house and say, when well, this thing's falling apart how you live here God wants me to live here I guess how you know this is where I'm at we used to live in the land of plenty we had a house that had six bedrooms in it brick wall as thick as a fortress cars in the driveway motorcycles they said hey would you come be the pastor of a little church in Folkland sure be right there. Well, you know, we can only give you about $300 a week. Sure, we'll go. My wife said to me one day, why is it we're going again? I said, because it fell to us. That's good enough. Well, what about this life that God's given me? I mean, I don't have much. It's the life God give you. May as well be said. Hey, use that as an opportunity. Whatever it is, if you've got much or little, if you've got a whole lot or if you've got a little, if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're beautiful or ugly, whatever this world puts value or stock in, just be satisfied with what you've got. Use it in order to be a testimony for him and not to prop your own self up. You'll finish your days with gladness and you'll finish your life in peace and joy. And a man can't ask, For any more than that. God will get the glory and you'll get the benefit. The benefit is you've got it good. You've got it real good. God's been real good to you. He surely has. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your grace and for your goodness. Thank you for all you've afforded us. God, you've been a good God to us. You have run to our rescue. You didn't stop off some other place, but you came right to our rescue and our help and you've provided us with everything that we need. And though we may seek God some improvements and we may seek things, Lord, let us not let things be the end all or be all of the measure of our success or failure, but let it be that we've received the grace of God and that we've let that grace that you've given us be the guiding factor and be the guiding principle in our life. We can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us, and I thank you for that. Lord, bless us and be with us as we go to our homes, as we go out to the river for a baptismal service. I pray you'd watch over us. I pray you'd keep everyone safe, and I pray, oh God, you'd bring us back at the appointed time. Do a work in our hearts, God. I know that sometimes people get uncomfortable, God, when they hear these things that straighten out our lives and iron out the wrinkles. The iron must be hot, but it does. have a a smoothing effect in our lives. And I pray, oh God, you'd help us to receive these things with joy and receive these things, God, with the intent that you gave it to us for the improvement of our Christian lives. And I thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus Christ's name I ask it. Amen. Amen.